0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm your host. And on this episode, we've got a special guest. And uh, Ben, I just want to, I will talk about the weather today mainly because it is really freaking nice. And, uh, but like last night when I was out for St. Patty's Day, the, uh, the bar that I was at, you know, I live in the mountains. So they started a, a fire, they have like wood fireplace. So they were they were doing uh, the the best kind of recycling, which is burning all of the beer boxes to <laughs> to get the fire going, and doing it with a blowtorch uh, as well as having the outside fire pits going. But nice. Matt, my blue collar nice. badass, how are you, man?
1: Doing well, doing well. Uh, weather is not great here today, but yesterday was friggin' gorgeous. So I'll, I'll take it when I get it. <laughs> one one nice. of those busy weeks. I'm actually uh, I'm not in studio, which is why I sound like I'm talking through a Coke
0: bottle. Hey, man, that's, uh, that's real life for sure. So, all right, guys, today, let's just jump right into it. Today, we've got Dave Green, who worked for decades as a foreman, project manager for Evergreen Architectural Arts, which is a specialty finishes contracting company responsible for, they did consulting, design, craftsmanship, and he was responsible for estimates, bids, management, all that good stuff for projects up to eleven million. Which is actually that's a very big job for just a finished as contractor. Uh, and oversaw both union, non-union work across the nation internationally. So his projects were from municipal, state, federal monuments, you know, religious buildings, theaters, uh, seven state capitals, and there's some pretty cool projects that. I really want to dive into on what you worked on and doing restorations and all that kind of really cool stuff that, frankly, you don't hear too much about, but is super important. Um, And we'll talk and do the whole transition through why he left construction uh, and moved over to health and fitness. Uh, Frankly, I mean, this is going to be a big piece of it, and really the burnout that that happens, you know, after being in the field for over a decade, you know, just the wear and tear, uh, and really how we can help improve. Uh, contractors lives and try to maybe prevent that from happening to your folks so with that dave welcome to the show
2: yeah thanks guys appreciate you having me on here absolutely
1: man it'll be interesting to get a a fresh perspective on this. we don't often have guys that are are no longer directly tied to construction in some form so I'm, i'm looking forward to the conversation
2: yeah, it was it was a bittersweet sort of removal from the field, if you will. I you know I, I ended up removing myself, but uh, I love the work we did. I love you know I like to say uh, like we were restoring the the the, the fabric of America uh, working on these historical buildings, and uh, it, it was something that I really uh, held dear to my heart. And uh, there was a lot of inspiration in nearly every single project I worked on, but. Uh, at the end of it, it was um, a lot of stress, and um, and I did suffer a lot of burnout, and um, and so I decided to work on something a little more meaningful for me. Ultimately, did a major career shift. You know, quit my job, divorced my ex-wife, moved from New York back home to Chicago, and and started my new endeavor here as a uh, you know as a fitness coach, a trainer. That's cool, man. And I I, I want to get into your your
1: new life, but I, I think if if you don't mind, I want to at least touch on your old life, right? Um, yeah. I spent a few minutes on on uh, Evergreen's website, and holy shit, man, <laughs> that's some <laughs> cool stuff that you were doing there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is, you know. Like I, the company, you know, I haven't been I haven't worked for them since 2014, so where it's almost a decade out, you know, eight okay. years out. And uh, I, I had the pleasure of working on seven state capitals, uh, like Dylan said. Uh, the company has painted like almost every theater in Manhattan. So we did, um, uh, the bread and butter was ornamental plaster restoration and decorative paint finishes. And that's everything from like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, straight painting, you know, required uh, like, you know, I did the Utah State Capitol. We painted that whole building. We're out there for 22 months. And, and then all of the decoration in the like the significant chambers, you got like the Senate, the, you know, the House of Reps, the, um, the Supreme Court uh, you know room was there. They have, you know, um, you know other ornamental rooms or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ceremonial rooms you know, and then, so there's like 22 karat gold leaf or imitation gold leaf, faux wood finishes, faux stone finishes, you know, murals, uh, you know, and the plaster restoration on top of that, everything from traditional, uh, you know, laying up traditional three coat, you know, from lath uh, all the way through to finish. And then how do you recreate ornamental capitals, ornamental crown molding and all that stuff? That's really cool. Um,
1: There's a, there's a college I follow and I, I should have prepped better and remembered the name, but they're (laughs) down Southeast, uh, Southeast uh, United States somewhere, South Carolina, maybe maybe a little lower, Mm -hmm. but they, they're actually teaching kids, college age kids, how to kind of do the, you know, the old school plastering and and construction art, if you will. So Mm -hmm. it's really cool to hear about that, what you were doing and kind of bringing those old buildings back to life.
2: the name escapes me too but i know it's like in north carolina or something i know exactly what you're talking about yeah
1: it's it's a neat neat place for sure they're they're helping the trades but in a different way than just your standard you know run-of-the-mill trade school
2: yeah and, and it's it's important too because like I, I used to have these stats like right at the tip of my fingers but like at the turn of the 20th century you know there were like a hundred thousand you know three coat plasters guys that knew how to like put a finish coat on a wall and now it's like you know maybe 10,000, you know, probably closer wow. to a thousand nationwide. And if, you know, and like I, we dealt with union, non-union work, I mean, working in all the different States, you, you have, you know, prevailing wage jobs on government projects. Right. But, um, uh, but like the unions are more prevalent in different States, like in the plasters trade, there's, um, the operative plasters in some States and other States it's owned by the uh, bricklayers. And, um, and and most of these guys are synthetic stucco guys. They they do exterior. They're doing EFIS or stucco, um, yeah. but they don't know how to lay up like traditional three coat. So I mean, there's there's a challenge in that that trade is you know all but extinct in this country. So. How would you get into that? That's a, it, it seems pretty <laughs> specialized, right? <laughs> well, the the short answer is um, nepotism at its finest. I worked for my uncle. Uh, but the the longer, more roundabout answer, uh, he was a, a very distant uncle. You know, my mom and dad were divorced. I haven't seen my my biological father since I was nine years old, and um, and and he was my brother, my father's brother. But um, I went to school for ultimately to study art, and I was doing a lot of foundry work. So I was doing bronze and aluminum casting. So I was very familiar with the mold making process, you know. So I was using uh, like you know rubber and uh, silica and or silicone and all different kinds of of um, of um, you know uh, mold making materials, right? And my uncle was doing a he's doing a like a, a sales trip, like he used to he like knows every theater in every town in the country. Uh, He's part of an organization. I I don't even know if he's retired now or whatever, but he was part of the League of Historic American Theaters, and he like he could tell you like go through like whatever little town on any little map, you know, and he'd be like, "Oh, there's a theater there. There's a theater there." So anyway, I was going to school on the West Coast, and he was driving through my town, and just out of the blue, he had called me. I mean, I hadn't seen the guy for probably 15 years or something. I was, yeah, that was probably two twenty two thousand two. Yeah, so or 2000 yeah probably 2000 and and like he hung out crashed at my house we went out for dinner and like three weeks later he uh, offered me the job because he had seen he knew I knew how to make the molds which were necessary for uh the plaster restoration or the plaster recreation and uh, like you know and I started as a tradesman with him he put a paintbrush in my hand and I was painting, you know, ceilings, walls, and and doing, you know, molds, helping the, his more uh, journeymen or senior plasters there, and then uh, um, I worked up through the field. Within a year or two, I was a foreman, and then, you know, did that for a while, traveled for six years, you know, consistently, and then uh, uh, I told him I was like, You know I can't be on the road anymore, and I need to come into the office. Um, I'm, you know I'm dying out here basically and uh, then i uh, he offered me the project management position, and I did that for almost another seven years.
1: That's really cool, man. i I gotta imagine the travel was brutal for a, for a specialty contractor like that where you can't rely on you know building your own town forever. You know, you're mm-hmm. probably on the road constantly,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, I was, I like, I didn't even unpack suitcases. I'd be in a hotel room or an extended stay hotel or, you know, some kind of a furnished apartment, you know, and, you know, yeah, some projects were three weeks long. Some were three, you know, nine months. I think the longest stint I had was in Salt Lake city for 22 months. And uh, that was actually kind of nice. I made some friends and you know, actually was able to, you know, um, have developed some relationships, but, um, uh, um, other than the contractors i worked for the gc's the cms the other trades you know uh but but yeah it was it was um i mean it was fun but you know, it was a lot of times in hotel bars or bars <laughs> yeah i did yeah mm-hmm.
0: and uh yeah, salt lake capital it uh it sits nicely like right at the top of the hill there in uh salt lake city so if you've ever uh been to salt lake city guys it's like majestic is like a nice way to put it like on one of the roads coming up like it sits perfectly on like dead center on the like main street through salt lake so it's kind of cool to to see i've never been in it but from from the outside anyway (laughs) it's a a cool building it's i'm
2: I'm pretty sure that's uh, still my handiwork i don't you know if if it hasn't god that would have been when was i there 2000 i turned 30 so 15 years ago is when i was out there so 2007 right
0: yeah. yeah. So, in some of the work that you were doing, like in laying, like gold leaf, or some of these others, like kind of walk us through maybe some of the the process or techniques for this. Like, and first, I would never have guessed going to like art school, you learn like foundry work for molds and metalworking. Yeah. Like, I wish that's like not when I think of when I think art degree
2: yeah i mean it was you know like my i loved it i mean i i did a lot of glass blowing too like out of a like out of a like an italian furnace you know not like uh uh they call it lamp work when you got the little torch on your table you know but um you know so i was like i was just like fascinated with fire and like the phase change you know and like i just i mean i loved being around you know molten bronze or aluminum we did a lot of that casting work um but the the 22 karat gold leaf is. um uh it, it's really a fascinating material it's very forgiving um you know traditionally they used to like pound it they like this these little pearls of gold in between like rabbit fur and like that's how they would make the leaf and uh we would get all our most of our gold leaf from uh, from italy um, uh, uh, manzetti or something like that was the name of the company it's like one of the biggest you know, suppliers in the world and like we had a, a very intimate relationship with uh sep leaf who are out of new york like they you know like it's like i didn't work on the project but gilding like the colorado state capital dome i mean it like you know when you bid projects by that by the way you know it's like they do these capital improvements and they're like okay they do the budget projections and it's like okay i don't know what the number is but like we need two hundred thousand dollars worth of gold leaf you know materials but uh it's pegged to commodity prices so like that if you don't do this project next year or two years you know know, it may fluctuate but um but the the surface has to be absolutely pristine you know so a lot of spec books call for like a level five finish and it's like no like you'll still see you know tape lines or whatever on sheetrock or whatever so you really have to like float out these walls and make them like you know absolutely smooth um because there's no touching up gold leaf like you lay it on and if something like you can't just go in and put a new one in you have to like redo the entire surface and if that's a you know a 10 by 30 wall or ceiling or whatever you're working on it's like you know you got to redo the whole thing and uh you know you got to have a good solid uh uh uh, substrate you know so it's got to be primed and, and sealed properly and then you use a specialty varnish called size which you know lays up just like size and when I started, we used to use a, a French product, which was a lead based sized, which uh, it, it was LaFranc's and like, it was still legal to use, um, you know, had gotten around the EPA codes, you know, restrictions in uh, 78 or whatever from 1978. And uh, we'd be like, their, their projects I was on where you'd spray that stuff on with a HVLP, you know, paint sprayer, <laughs> you know, fully masked and everything, but um, yeah, so you spray this on and it dries twelve or twenty-four hours, and you come in the next day and it's you could you would like rub it with your fingernail and if it made this right like squeaky noise, you like knew it was ready, and then you could you know, apply it. And um, traditionally, it would be in these books. They'd be like three and a half inch by three and a half inch squares, and like master leafers could just like flap, 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 like just lay it out perfectly in these like uh, you know straight lines. Uh, and that's part of the appeal of the finish is that it would be these like little you know squares um and you know then they started to put it in rolls and things like that so it was you know just more um uh, convenient to lay out or more efficient so um but yeah it's it's a cool you know i always joke about like hey i could like i could gild my toilet if i want like nobody would know the difference if i was actually using a solid gold you know toilet or if it was just you know yeah a coating Not, I don't know why I would ever do that, but. you <laughs> a good party favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a cool party trick for sure, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah just scratch through it. Ah, oh, I got ripped <laughs> off on this toilet. Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be gold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But in, so in some of these specialty finishes and going through it, like, just the restoration process for the rest of it, what were maybe some of the bigger restoration pieces or really you know talking about restoring the nation's fabric like with these state capitol buildings and some of the other buildings that you went into what was um, you know obviously state capitals we want to maintain those but some of these theaters maybe what was the kind of force behind uh, restoring these these old theaters and even capitals? yeah well I mean
2: you know, like you know, first, I'd like to say, you know, like we America has monuments on par with Europe, you know, like a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, like you know, we're only 250 years old or whatever, and and, and you know, they got monuments from Italy that are you know, thousand years old. It's like, you know, like some of our buildings are you know, just as beautiful and elegant as, as anything from you know, the old world, if you will, but um. A lot. Well, it's it's interesting because like when you look at state capitals, like they were like, oh, wait, we're going to build this building and they would run out of funds. So they would build this marvelous shell and the architect would have an original design and it, like it wouldn't be completed, you know, and some of that it would just be down to the paint. It's like, oh, you know, uh, you know, the architect intended to put murals here, but they were never installed because, you know, the project took you know, I don't know, hundred years ago, it took five, 10 years to build the building and or whatever it took. And they just ran out of the funding, you know, so now like you, know, you got two parts of things like, you know, like are we, when we get into restoration, is it restoration or conservation? Like, are we really trying to like, like preserve the actual structure and every, you know, save this brick, don't save that brick. You know, the mortar line joints are all crumbled here. You know, it'd be like, you'd be dealing with state architects, you know, Shippo's or Landmarks Conservancy, and you'd get these very involved, uh, uh, um, you know, specifications on what the project actually was. And 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 then, and and sometimes you'd be interpreting what the original design was or intent was. And believe me, there's like, there's some crazy politics involved with that. When you have an architect who's an actual like politician and, <laughs> you know um you know you know i mean literally a politician not just uh you know i, I, I know some I great you. architects <laughs> you know but um but uh uh yeah so anyway uh lost my train of thought so sometimes we put in like new murals and building like in buildings where they're like okay the the murals were never installed in the rotunda but like we knew this about his notes or maybe this was the theme so like we would design original murals and and the company is was like i believe we were the second entity to put original murals in the u.s capital so like uh you know so um you know so the, the legacy evergreen was, is phenomenal but you know so you know that is like the government you know like our, our actual fabric you know like doing those things but when we get into theaters, you know, a lot of these projects are par- privately funded um, and, uh, you know, they may be getting some grants or something, some tax breaks because they're restoring a historical building through the Landmarks Conservancy or the National Parks or, you know, state or- state organizations or whatever. Uh, but a lot of the small Main Street towns you get into across America, it's, it's really interesting dynamic because like, I don't care if you're like up west in the Northeast or whatever, where it's like old textile towns or or they used to have tanneries or whatever you know you get down into the south and like there's a lot of old like logging pine towns you know you got like mining towns it's like you get into Main Street America and you can kind of see you know the industry is left you know or left 50 years ago 100 years ago you know maybe 30 years ago whatever it is and um, and the town is depressed and so uh, they'll have some benefactor whether it's an individual or an organization that comes in and they Rebuild the theater as a catalyst to uh, revitalize the economy. Right. So we're not only like rebuilding the fabric of the country through the actual buildings and monuments, but it, it becomes a catalyst for commerce because when the theater opens, uh, well now, and, and, you know, like, we're not just talking about movie theaters, we're talking about performing arts theaters, like, okay, now there's concerts, now there's shows, you know, and it doesn't matter, like, you know, big names will come in and do these things, so now people are congregating on Main Street again, and what do they want to do? They want to go out and have a meal, they want to go out and hang out, and have a drink afterwards, or whatever it is, you know, and then it's like, you know, the restaurants come, and the shops open up, and so we have seen it act as that catalyst, um, in, in many, many, many towns, and so it, like, that's where it's like, Uh, that's was the tearjerker, like very emotional part of this. And, and you'd be in these old theaters, some of them were just like, you know, old movie theaters, like single screen theaters, and nobody's building those new by the way, right? Like it's all, you know, megaplexes, you know, 20 screens and all that. But, you know, I remember, I was in a a town in Maryland, and you know, some nine-year-old dude walked up to me and he was telling me a story about how he lost his virginity in that theater i mean he wasn't getting in details but he's like i went to this theater i had this first date or whatever it was with this lady and you know it's like you know like i mean those stories are just phenomenal and i've heard you know a million of them from you know i was in a a, a chapel in a nunnery once and this 90 year old nun walks in she's just in tears because i was painting like a mock-up for her on what the chapel would look like and she's like i've waited my whole life for this you know um, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, and when you get into churches, by the way, you know it's usually the denomination, the um, uh, the congregation that's you know funding it. You know they might get some tax breaks because it's a monument or you know a store, a landmark or something like that. But then the, they're usually leaning on their congregation for funds to to do the work. You know,
1: that's really neat. Man. It's uh, it's not a trade that I've ever had any personal experience with. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I want to touch on a couple of things you said. First of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't jump right in and say that even a hundred and some years ago when they were designing uh, capital buildings, they, they should have gone the design build route because then the architects would have designed something that they could have afforded to build also.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We just check that off yeah. in this episode there.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But you know, the historical side of it, that, there's a lot that goes into that that I don't think people recognize. You know, you mentioned Shippo, um, Personally, at a previous company I worked at, we did a, a restoration of a state hospital up in Traverse City and Michigan Chippo, actually made us, uh, we had to reuse a certain percentage of the exterior bricks on the building. And so we actually hired this local dude, it was this old Italian guy and his son. And for months, these guys sat out there and brick by brick, they, they chipped off the old mortar, cleaned the lead paint off and stacked them back up for us to reinstall. Um, can you kind of speak to that? You were, you're on the project management side for a while. So you had to deal with all that shit, I'm sure.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for the, sure. The
1: requirements that go into that can be astronomical at times.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, how do you bid work like that? You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, and like you're, you're look, you're begging for some unit prices. It's like, look, you know, like I, like I can give you a ballpark on how many hours, but then it, like we used to estimate our work on man hours, but it's like, you know, I, I'm going to have a union guy come in here. And you know, you know, you can. We'll take photos of all the work he ever he does every single day. You know, and um, it, it's tough. I mean, one of the most interesting things we did was uh, I can't remember the name of the theater, but it was right off Bryant Park in um, in Manhattan. And they had demolished the theater, um, and they built the one Bryant Park, which is like the Bank of America Tower. That's what it was. I don't know if they. I'm sure they still own it, but I think it was Bank of America. Um, uh, they they got the they got some tax credit or whatever for restoring the theater, and so what they did is they excavated certain they were calling them artifacts, you know. So like there was a part of the proscenium, which is the ornamental plaster that goes around the theater. It's like the 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 scene, the scenium, yeah. like the right in front of it is the proscenium, right? And so they took a piece of it that was like you know three feet wide by like fifteen feet tall, and we went in. They excavated it you know, laid it down and we would inject like specialty, you know, glues essentially like hardeners into the back to like maintain every component of it. You know, it was like, it was ornamental plaster. So it's not like traditional three coat, but it w- it had like brown and scratch underneath it. And why wi- I think it had, yeah, it must have had wire lath on it. And then like we would go in and then we built like a, a, a armature on the back of it. And so this thing is I got six inches thick, three feet wide, thirteen feet tall. And there were other, you know, there's like a big medallion from a wall that was like four feet in diameter, and other things. And um, we injected all these hardeners, built this armature on the back, and the way they install it into the uh, into the new theater, which is basically a black box theater. And you know, so like like there, that's true conservation. Like you cannot alter this. You know what I mean? You can't even like recreate it. You know. But I've been there on projects where, um, yeah, where where it's like that, like where they're like they want to do a full MEP upgrade on a historical building from like the 1800s, right? Like we want to put teledata, security, sprinkler, fire, you know, (laughs) light, power you know, and like, and you know, they like make Swiss cheese out of the wall, you know, but preserve as much as possible. Right. And don't, you know, alt, you know, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for. Don't damage the original fabric, you know, like that's a big word they use a lot. Right. And then, you know, go back in and like, you know, patch this wall. And then, so it's like, yeah, you know, the walls become a jigsaw puzzle in Swiss cheese. And you're trying to like wire in lath in a, this huge, all these channels and routes. And by the way, right, like they drew it all out, but then you open up the wall and, oh, well, there's unforeseen conditions in here, right? Like the the, the, the beams don't go the way we thought they did, you know, the, the, the posts and the columns or whatever are, where they are, you know, or, you know, you know, or the whole wall falls down, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Did they use drawings, you know, 200 years ago? Um, anyway. Um, and then, you know, so it, it, it's, it's a real freaking challenge. Right? And then you're like, hey, you know, if you want this to look beautiful, like we have to put a finish coat over the whole entire wall, and, or, you know, and, but they're like, well, we don't want that because it's not the original and then, then you like try to put the gold leaf on it or whatever the finish is, and it doesn't look right it looks like it's on a wall full of patches. you know lord forbid there was an actual a change order come down from the owner when they're like oh i didn't want the light switch over here i wanted it on the other side of the room you know like, you know or whatever you know it's um it's challenging it's really tough you know so part of the the difficulty of the projects is we go in and we bid them here's how much it costs and here's how long it's going to take right and then you're on some project that's going to take two years and we're like literally the last trade in and they have liquidated damages on the prod product Project, and you're like, you know, they're like, why can't you put ten coats of paint on that wall in, in a day? You know, like, why can't you compress your schedule? I'm like, well, I can, but I, you know, like, I won't. Will you accept not having a warranty on <laughs> the work? You know, and and I'm pretty sure the architect slash owners rep or whoever's got to approve this thing is not going to sign off on that. And I'll be, you know, what's you know, by the third time you do it, you do it right or whatever. What's that old saying? You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway. yeah uh it's really cool on the theater piece that those really become the catalyst for reinvigoration of downtowns like i'm okay. i'm thinking here there's a town uh pretty close to me that has that same thing right it's uh got the old town square it's got some monuments it's got the pool like right across from the the square downtown it's got there's a few restaurants that have come in, but it used to be a big uh, logging town was the primary um, industry there where the, the rails come right into town. They would unload the logs from the mountains and it's that industry's kind of just left and they've turned the, the rail, rails into trails and uh, so now I run along them. but they have there's an old theater there that would be like it's a single theater. Would be perfect for to be renovated. And then around it, you know, there's all the restaurants, bars, and then there's a big park and green space uh, next to it. And I could just picture having that renovated to really be the catalyst for, you know, small community, uh, you know, a few thousand people or whatever, but it would really reinvigorate a lot of that and then bring in people from out of town to come and see a show or whatever might, you know, be there.
2: You know, it's, it, i think it's critical you know and it, it kind of gets into a larger discussion about um you know kind of bringing things back to america and maybe spending a little bit more money for an american made thing you know like the sound quality in a little theater like that it may not be like the dolby megaplex but it, but it's but you know like um uh, the architecture of the sprawl you know when you when you i'd go into towns too and it's like you'd see the main street and then it's like i was working at it was in maryland i remember i was like in a, a, a furnished apartment i'm looking out and like it's just like you could see the sprawl go for miles and you got your big box stores i'm not going to name any names and you, you know, it's like it's like just the architecture of nothing you know and and now like you know we see some contraction on some of that where they you see these you know strip malls that are just vacant <laughs> you know, and it's, 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 you know um, uh, it's a little
0: like quality over convenience you know
2: if you will um
0: so anyway well and the experience of it you know like these old theaters and stuff like it's an experience you know and going mm-hmm. and seeing them or the the feel of it you know and oh man, yeah i'm sure you had something else there
1: so so dave you had a pretty cool career doing some pretty cool stuff in construction but um let's kind of switch to I guess. and you obviously left for some reason. So why don't you touch as much as much detail as you want on why you left um, and, and where you're at now?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, obviously I had a lot of pride in the work, or maybe it's obvious, right? Like I loved what I did and, you know, I thought it was important and, um, I, you know, I left college, took this job and I was on the road. You know, for six years straight. And it, it turned into be turned out to be so much of my identity. Like, like I tied everything I had into the work. Like I was like, oh, you know, it was important, it was good. But then it's like all of my relationships were coworkers and and all of my time was spent on the job, you know, as a foreman slash project manager, you know, like I would I'd, I'd work my, you know, whatever, eight hours on the, in, in the field, and then I'd go back to the apartment or hotel or where I was staying. I'd had to do the administrative side of things, you know, so I'd be doing that. And then, um, you know, and then like all my socializing or the vast, vast majority of it would be with my coworkers, you know, and so it just, it became everything, you know, it, it, it defined every ounce of my fabric or every fabric of my being. And, and, um, yeah, and it, like you know, like whatever. You're on the road for six years, and it, like, you, like you know, wanted to. I wanted to, you know, be married someday and have kids and do that whole thing. And it's like I couldn't keep a stable relationship. I'd meet a girl maybe in the town and date for a while, and maybe be serious, maybe it'd just be more fun. But then it's like, well, I'm on the road again in three months, and even if I really, you know like that girl or whatever like it's like well that would never last because i'm on the road you know and like you know I, I had married guys that you you know or girls too you know that worked for me in the, in the field and it's like you know like they're away from their family and their kids you know and and um yeah so anyway like there's a lot of time in the bars or just sitting there drinking you know it's like how i pass the time and not you know in hindsight it wasn't enough time working on myself you know and and taking care of my own health and wellness because I was so fixated on the work, you know, it's like all I had. Um, And that ultimately led to the burnout, you know, and um, my workload was pretty intense as a project manager because it was a a kind of unique role because I was responsible for front of house and back of house. I had to do sales and estimating and bids and, and then I had to manage projects too, so, you know, you know, at one point I was, I was managing something like 30 projects in like seven different States. <laughs> and I'll never forget my boss. He said, um, he's like, how much time do you spend on this? Is my uncle again, right? How much time do you spend on every single job site every day? And I was like, well, you know, like was, I was in Manhattan, obviously I was like, well, that one's in Brooklyn. And you know, that I'm working in Albany. I got a job down in Virginia. I got some jobs in DC and you know, so like I try to rotate through these ones. At least spend an you know, a, you know, four hours, a, you know, a week on these ones. Like I get up to Albany, whatever, every month or whatever the requirement was at that time. And and he looked at me and he said, um, "You need to visit every single job every single day." And I and I and I said, "Well, that's impossible." You know, he's like, "With that attitude, it." <laughs> it is. And I was like, "No, it's actually impossible. One's in Albany, one's in Richmond. <laughs> you, know, one's, you know, there's some out in Jersey, but um." You know, so it was a combination of, you know, like my own not prioritizing myself and that spiraling into, you know, a little bit of depression, uh, definitely a lot of drinking and, and just the, what the the most succinct way I ever heard project management defined was um, the management of unreal expect, unrealistic expectations. You know, so I'm being squeezed. In the role between my you know my boss my coworkers, you know my um my clients you know and all those things and and uh yeah it just it was like this perfect storm and um and i was in a bad place you know a real bad place and so i had to go i quit
1: i get it i um i traveled extensively for about a decade uh, a while back and you know, when you're, when you're bouncing around from hotel to hotel, there's not really much else to do other than get drunk or, or drink, yeah. you know, drink until you gotta go to sleep and then get up and do it yeah. again. You know, uh, hotel gyms are still utterly dismal places to be, you know, they're, they're crappy old treadmills usually and that's about it. And, uh, I can understand the, the burnout factor, man. Um, so, you, so you left, you made a huge life change and, and what did you step into?
2: Well, you know, before I quit, I, I I started CrossFit, and it's one of these things where uh, I had a coworker, and it's kind of funny. He would, for years, we happened to work together on a lot of projects, and uh, he would always find a CrossFit gym and a grappling studio, and he's like, "Oh, you gotta try it! You gotta try it!" And I'm like, "Nah, nah, nah, nah." And we we're good buddies. We'd hang out at the bars or whatever, but he would always like do his work and then go get his workout And, You know, it's pro- it probably probably been six or seven years, you know, and then I finally was like, oh, I wouldn't try CrossFit. And 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 the reason why I did that was because I had asked my ex-wife to marry me. And I was like, oh, I want to have kids and I need to establish a habit. And um and I did, you know, and there's kind of this classic, you know, mythos or whatever about CrossFit is like, you know, it's like it's a cult. You know, you start it and then all you do is talk about CrossFit. You know, number one rule is uh, about CrossFit is you always talk about CrossFit. But it changed my life, you know, it 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 reminded me of who I was when I was younger. You know, I played sports through college and, you know, just D three intramural or intra collegiate club, you know, it wasn't like some D one program or anything, but, um, but I, you know, it reminded me of the, you know, how good it felt to move and exercise and start to take care of that part of my, my life, you know, and how important that was to me. And, and, you know, it became part of my routine, you know, I was still working. I had to be on job sites, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. So I would go do workouts at like five, five 30. And, you know, and I used to walk around Manhattan with like my, my messenger bag for work and my gym bag, you know, just, you know, all the time. And then uh, I found um, it. I saw that the transformation, it helped people, other, others have also, you start to see people like, for me, it was a lot of women, like they do, they're like 30 years old, and they do their first pull up like ever in their life. And you see like the, the kind of realm of possibilities expand. I mean, you could literally see it in their eyes when they do their first pull up. And I was like, wow, that's really, really powerful. And, you know, and it's like, well, I could do this. And and I started to look into training and being a coach. And I did like an apprenticeship, whatever, in Jersey City, at uh, CrossFit Jersey City. And, uh, uh, and then I was like, I was getting really disgruntled with work. So I started to make some maneuvers to open my own gym. And, uh, and, and originally, I was going to do that on the East Coast. And then I was having a conversation with my mom. My marriage was falling apart, too. And uh, she's like, well, why the hell are you staying there? You quit your job. And so I ended up moving back home to Chicago. But it was really about me trying to help people, you know, live better lives. And there's a bigger picture to for it also to me is, and and this goes back to even before our pandemic over the last, you know, two years. And it's that there, there's something failing in Western medicine when all we talk about is alleviating symptoms and not actually handling the underlying causes. You know, there's this myth that like we can live whatever lives we want, and there's some pill or procedure that's just gonna make us healthy. Um, you know, how to truly be healthy, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, and in our relationships and careers. I think that you need to. Do the important work of working on yourself uh, and your own fitness, and and that was a I, maybe that was the the big thing. Like I was doing important work, but I wasn't doing the right important work, you know. And, and looking back, you know, what I do now is like I, I have two kids. I got two boys; they're four and two. I'm forty five. You know, I've been married to my uh, current wife for about six and a half years, and like, um, I. I like, where would I be if as a father, if I wasn't present in their lives, you know, like on the road, you know, uh, where would I be if my health was failing 20 years from now, and they need to be like taking care of me and those sorts of things. So these are the kinds of um, issues that I, I deal with that I help other people cope with too, you know, that, um, you know, so it's, it's about making changes like that.
1: I think that's a, it's a big step to make, you know, but it's, it's crucially important, you know what, what you're doing and what you're the, what you're trying to instill in people. You know, it's it's unfortunate that some people will go about living and never get to that point, right, where they recognize that that self preservation should be key and, and self development. Right? Um, it's it's epidemic to the construction industry, right? We don't, as a whole, take care of ourselves worth a shit. You know, you you eat crap food during the day, you drink too much at night. When you get hurt, you get prescribed a bunch of pills. And it's just this perfect storm that, yeah. you know, it, it ruins lives. And and that's, you know, Dylan and I talk about all the time, you know, different ways to improve the lives of the, the industry at large, whether it's technology or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the thing may be, this is a kind of a new facet, what you're doing that we've never really touched on. Um, but it, It's it's crucially important, right? We we need to push this more to our industry, to to everyone in the country as a whole. But but we focus on construction a lot. Um, You know, there's ways to be healthier and to to preserve your sanctity of life, right? And and you're kind of showing us how to do that. So it's it's impressive to see. It it was a big jump, I'm sure. I'm sure it was not an easy decision, but it sounds like it's working out for you.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was not an easy decision. You know, like I was definitely disgruntled and not happy with my career, but I was heir apparent to take over the company. You know, I left a potential seven figure income to start my own business, you know, and, and I was, you know, when I, when I started my gym, I was in a, I was living in my buddy's attic on an old mattress. He was recently divorced, you know, and I, I was working out of his garage you know, I was making like 500 bucks a month for, you know, 18 months, you know, just, you know, just trying to, you know, get in the black and, but, you know, it is important, you know, and it doesn't really matter what your career is, you know, and I certainly, you know, have a intimate knowledge of, you know, I worked with dudes and ladies from all over the country. And like, you know, one dude came to work for me when I was in Topeka working on the Kansas State Capitol. And like, the, I, I hadn't even met the guy. He was he'd been working for the company for a while, and he flew in. Uh, he got set up in his hotel room where he was staying, and he had a heart attack, like before I even met him. And the first time I met him was in the hospital, you know. And and I'm calling his wife, and you know, and then and he was stable and whatever, you know. And and um, you know, i bringing him magazines, but yeah, he's in a freaking hospital gown with all these tubes in him, and it's like I'm. That's the first time I met the guy. And I have plenty of people. It's like, well, how many times have you been married? And, and, and their, you know, health is less than ideal, you know, and it's pretty obvious, but it's not like you got to go out and like join a CrossFit gym or, um, you know, or do anything crazy. I mean, you're talking about hotel gyms. It's like, there's plenty of work you can do in 15, 20 minutes, a few times a week to, you know, take care of your physical health and, and and the benefits that come from just a very basic routine, like, like your confidence, you know, and like, whatever, we're a bunch of construction dudes and we're tough and all this and that. But it's like, you care about what you look like, you care about how your wife looks at you and what she thinks when she's looking at you. And, you know, if you feel like a piece of crap, or, you know, like, you're not gonna, you know, you're not going to be the best worker, You know, our egos get inflated, you know, I've been there, even as a gym owner, I'm like, "Ah, I don't need to work out, you know, like, you know, like, whatever, it's good enough. And, and it's like, you know, you know, when I started doing CrossFit, it's like, I wanted to have kids, but like I didn't finish this part of it, like, but I didn't want to be the dad that like throws the ball for 90 seconds in the backyard, then I got to go sit on the porch, you know. Like, like, what kind of quality relationship would I have with my children if that was what it was? And I mean, this is kind of speaking to a larger crisis, I think, that's going on with you know men. And I'm a man, so I I have to speak from this vantage. But like, like, I was raised by my mother, you know. Like, like, there, there's a crisis of like not a lot of real males. We have like generations of boys that have been raised by women and don't know what it means to be a real man you know so like you know some of these dudes out here like you know sitting there drinking your beers or whatever around your kids it's like like we got to do better you know if you have problems with current political climate you're like maybe this is something we can do you know master ourselves in order to master to improve our families improve our communities improve our country you know I don't want to get off into politics too far, but 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 it, but I think it's all related, you know. And and that's another reason why, why I was like, man, I want to go help this country. I want to go help people, you know, through fitness and you know and everything that you know stems from that or spans beyond that. Well, a,
1: a, amen to that, man. You're, you're yeah. spot on, on on everything you just said. You know, we we could go down a rabbit hole in politics and in the current yeah, state definitely. of affairs, but
2: yeah. Talk for days for sure.
1: <laughs> I'm with you there though.
0: Um, Dave, where can they find you?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you can always hit me up. My, my gym is just outside Chicago. It's CrossFit Spiro S P E R O. The website's CrossFit Uh, my email is Dave at, um, at CrossFit Spiro, uh, Uh my Instagram is coach underscore Dave Green. Uh, you know, those are the main ways to hit me up. Email is probably the best. Uh, I don't have my own podcasts or anything like that. I'm just kind of jumping into some other people right now. But uh, but like I'm I'm here to help anybody. I don't care where you are in the country. You know, if if you uh have any questions, need any insight, need some tips, some pointers, hit me up. You know, that's what I'm about. I'm trying to help people uh, everywhere and anywhere. This is um, this is important to me and uh so important that you know I left my old job <laughs> to do it, you know. And um yeah, so that's it.
1: That's awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I like what you're doing. I, I have some, some personal ties to the Chicago area. I was born in Hinsdale and lived in Downers Grove and Darien. What?
2: In uh, I, I I was born in Hinsdale and I live in Elmhurst. Okay. Were you man, born? In the, what in what Hinsdale, year but no, I wasn't. But my sister was. I was born in Elk Grove Village at uh, Alexian Brothers Hospital. My parents lived up in Wooddale when I was born. Um, but all like all my nieces and nephews and everybody were born in at LaGrange.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's,
2: uh,
1: I had to pull out my birth certificate a couple of weeks ago to go visit a, a prospect. And right there on the fucking top of it, it says Hinsdale Sanitarium
2: and Hospital. Yeah. It's it's I think it's advent healthcare now. It's not no longer I don't think they still call it hinsale sam. But did you go to Hinsale Central or hinsale South?
1: No, I actually moved. Uh we left when I was third or fourth grade. How old are you? 42. We left in ninety.
2: I, yeah, geez. So you're just a couple I graduated in ninety-four. So yep. um yeah, you're just a couple of years behind me. That's interesting. So like that's so funny. <laughs> Small, Small world. Small world. So, yeah. Do you go to like like were you going um you know, were you in Hinsdale proper? Like, I, I went out to, I was in, I lived in Golfview, like right across from Hinsdale Central.
1: So I went so to it, Westview
2: and Marker and all those schools.
1: Yeah, we well, know we lived in Downers Grove and then
2: Barry. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Downers. oh, Downers, okay, yeah. Well, my dad, my stepfather, my dad, you know, he was he grew up in Downers, but uh, that's so funny, small world. <laughs> yeah. <man.
1: laughs> but awesome. but anyway, you know, thanks for coming on, man. You're, you're not. I well, appreciate it. There. Thanks for yeah, having us. Not our average guest by any means, and but I think it, it's a cool story to tell, and it's it's a super important message that you're putting out there that, that we all need to be pushing more heavily than we are throughout, not just our industry, but like you said, throughout the whole throughout the whole damn country.
2: You know the 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 you know the 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 larger kind of touchy feely side of this is like just being like accepting mediocrity. You know, like I like I, I can't do that anymore. Like I I need to see how far I can push it, you know, with my health, with my relationships, with my career, you know, and, you know, to be the best person I can be in all facets, you know, and I, and, and I hope I can help people do that, inspire people to do that, or at least think about it, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: For sure. Dave, thank you for coming on. Uh, to recap our wide ranging episode <laughs> is uh, one the, the buildings and monuments that you've worked on, I mean, you can hear that passion come through, you know, the true craftsmanship that we've talked about on on many episodes that really is lacking throughout the the country and to have people that are true craftsmen's and really bringing back some techniques and materials that you don't often see anymore, I think is, one, is truly impressive what you have done and again, to restore and repair and update some of the the, you know to do work in the nation's capital is again a very impressive uh, project to be a part of it's going to be here for a long time as well as most of these capital buildings and to keep them in pristine working condition to really repairing and bringing back communities in a lot of small towns you know i think that's something that a lot of us maybe forget about is you know the those small town communities where you know, fly over states and people forget about, you know, those little things or Main Street America. And, you know, it's really where a lot of people live, you know, it's where our our food comes from is from Main Street America. So, um, all that work is is super important that that you were doing. And then to, to make a huge transition, you know, I got, I've done it. I've talked about it to where it's doesn't serve who you are, you know, to your best ability and ultimately helping others to, to get the best out of themselves. So it's a scary transition to make from a, a known entity into the unknown, but I think the, if you're happier for it, you know, and the world's better off for it, for you to follow those passions and to ultimately talk about this type of thing where people are burnout, you know, they're stressed, they're going through rough times, hard times, and Nobody needs to really do that, you know, and to, to meet, meet a guy in the hospital bed. It's, if you start asking around on job sites or through your offices out there, you know, how many people have had heart attacks or high blood pressure or strokes, or, you know, they've gone through, like I had shingles, like to go through these really stress related events is, There's a lot of them, you know, most people don't talk about them and you'd be surprised at how many have them and seemingly healthy people, um, you know, they're just not carrying the extra hundred pounds, but you know, they have other underlying problems that they're just not talking about. So, uh, Dave, thank you. Come on for, for making that, uh, awareness, you know, and telling your story. And I think it'll help a, a lot of people. So appreciate you coming on and guys share the show that's all we ask. We don't run ads or do any of that stuff. So that's going to be this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Thank you all for listening and until next time.